Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. So be honest, who doesn't love a good 6-1 away win in the Premier League? Aston Villa became the fourth team that City have beaten by that scoreline on their travels. Bonus points for anyone who can name the other three off the top of the heads. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon Podcast, where we've got some more broken records to discuss. Sergio Aguero is the main man after he became the Premier League's leading foreign scorer, and he now has the most hat-tricks of any player in the competition as well. Also on today's show, we'll be discussing the prices of the tickets for the Champions League tie with Real Madrid. Are they fair for the quality of football on show, or is it just too much? Especially with the number of games City play by doing well in all the competitions these days. We'd love to know what you think, so get in touch. Tweet us at Blue Moon Podcast or you can email through the website bluemoonpodcast.com. We'll also be looking ahead to the matches with Crystal Palace and Sheffield United. Plus, we'll hear from the Manchester Evening News Chief City Correspondent Stuart Brennan about the team's chances in Europe this season. I'm your host, David Booney, and with me in the studio are two City fans who, it seems, stood a matter of metres away from each other at Villa Park this week, and they didn't even know about it. Richard Burns. Hello there. And Rachel Hurdson. Hi there. Yeah, so you were you were like within a stone's throw of each other and didn't know. Didn't know. I'd, I only noticed when I looked on Richard's Twitter and uh, he'd taken a, a picture of his view, and it was exactly where where we were. And we pretty just, much the same as your view. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. And we just discussed the uh, overzealous stewarding in and around that area, so we we, we know we were definitely uh, very close to each other. Yeah. It was really, really bad stewarding, but anyway. Well, well, we, well we might give that a miss and, uh, and, and look at uh, look at the positives because uh, Sergio Aguero is now the uh, Premier League record holder for goals scored by a foreign player and the uh, the player that scored the most hat tricks in the competition as well. Uh, Richard, it is it, it, it's not something that we need to say that Sergio Aguero is a good player. Everybody listening to this knows that, but it just goes to show just how good a player he is. It's I think whenever you get to a point like this where you're talking about all time scoring records falling that have lasted years and years and years I think the first thing that always strikes me is what it says about the consistency of that player because you can look at those numbers and like so much of football we talk about stats and stats only really mean anything when you place them in a context but when you look at the numbers of goals against his appearances compared to what any other player has managed to achieve in Premier League football it tells its own story. You don't need a context to look at that and know, right, Sergio Aguero must have been a great striker. He's doing something right there. Then when you get into it and you look at how he plays the game, the different type of goals that he scores, the number of hat-tricks, the number of match-winning goals and important goals and title-clinching goals that he's got, um, or, or pushing the team towards titles, or dragging them up when they've not been so good, the way that he's linked with different strike partners in his time at City, the way that he's done it on his own, Everything that he has done in his not far off a decade at City is just absolute class. And he's done it all against the backdrop of some pretty bad injury problems for most seasons that he's been here. 
he's had um, he's had to contend with at least one injury that's cost him a good few games. He has to come back and get into right back into the swing of things. And okay, sometimes he might take a few games to get firing again because he's only human. But invariably, it's not too long. And then, how many how many spates of bad form has he really had in that time? You can think of maybe a couple where you thought he's not firing at the moment. The worst one of that, he came back and ended it by scoring five goals against Newcastle. I think <laughs> it's prob- funny you should say that because I remember at half time being stood on the concourse with my dad and my brother and just said, Oh, Aguero, he's, you know, he's just not on it today, mm. is he? And then comes out second half. I think he's, might, did he score one in the first half, four in the second. Yeah. 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 And then Pellegrini took him oh, off no. with about half an hour. I don't he care was, that he, he was, was injured. injured. I don't care about the narrative, David. I wanted the double hat trick. <laughs> he was injured, man. You can't, you can't leave him on the pitch because he might get a six He wouldn't goal. have even had to run. They were just going. He could have done anything that day and the six goal would have come. No, I'm not having that. <laughs> um, but Rachel Richard mentioned it there. Um, I mean, the fact that you look at the other players around him in that foreign goal scorers list, uh, apart from Henri, they've all played, you know, it's, it's all 300 games, 400 games or so. Aguero's at, what, 255 yeah. or he's, so? He's, he's so much lower than the rest. His goal-to-game ratio is much, much better as well, isn't it, I think? Um, but as Richard said, it, it is a real shame that we will never really know, given the amount of injuries he has unfortunately suffered, how, you know, we, we all know he's amazing, but I think that he could have obliterated records had he not been injured. You know, that's how that's how good he is. And I know someone sent me something the other day about hat-tricks. Um, hat-tricks since the start of the 2011-12 season. I don't know if you'd seen this at all. But Liverpool, 11. Spurs, 10. Chelsea, 10. Arsenal, 9. United, 6. <laughs> Aguero, 12. That just says everything to me. Oh, I love it. I didn't, I didn't realise that that was, yeah. uh, that was the case. Um, the, I, I, he did a rare interview with Sky Sports after the game in English. Uh, so here's, here's what he said to Sky Sports. I'm so happy for... The, the record, but thank my, my teammates because uh, they helped me uh, in this nine year, so I'm, I'm so happy. Let's start with that first record, going past Thierry Henry to be the top scoring non-English player in yeah. Premier League history, past a legend like that as well. Yeah, no, uh, it's just uh, when, I, when I scored the second and then I think one more, I break the record, the hat trick, no? That's so, right, yeah. So, uh, nah, I, I want to keep uh, scoring more goals, but all depend my my teammate. I think when you first came to England, we knew you were good. What, what perhaps is the surprise with these records is that you've stayed so long in England. Why? <laughs> I don't know, but no. When Have I, you stayed longer than you thought? Done more than you thought? No, uh, pff, normally. Uh, I don't think uh, uh, how many years to, to be in, in one club, no? But when I came here, so the club to receive me very good. Um, and then uh, my teammate uh, in that moment with Mancini. So, nah, um, I'm adapt very, very well. So, nah, keep going now. Which record means more? Going past Shearer for the hat-tricks or going past <laughs> no, Henri as the foreign player? No, now... Uh, uh, I want to keep scoring, so uh, uh, just uh, keep focus every game. Just I think uh, I will be happy if uh, if uh, good uh, uh, if uh, we we do a good uh, champion league. And I think what maybe 74 more goals to go past Shearer as the top Premier League scorer ever of all of them. Okay, well. Uh, <laughs> 
I will try. So it's so too, too, too far to Gerard, but him is, is uh, too much goal. So I, I don't know, but maybe I will try. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Sergio Aguero speaking to Sky Sports there. Um, 74 goals, Rachel. Can he do it? No. No. <laughs> I don't think there's any chance. I think the next one is. I think Andy Cole is got is, is is within his sights, isn't he? I think that's the next one that he needs to go after, and I think that looked attainable. After that, who knows? I mean, whether he'll stay next year or not, I think he'll probably do another year. You know, we already know that David Silva and, and probably Fernandinho are, are going to finish at the end of this year. So, I don't think we can afford to lose Aguero as well. That would represent too much of a transition for me. I think Fernandinho is actually on the cusp of a new, contract. a new contract. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that that would be be great. I would expect he'd probably then to be more of a bit part player mm. next year. I'd, I mean, we don't even know how much he would have played this year had um, the Port stayed fit. But anyway, um, on Sergio, I think the, the 70 odd goals is. is, is just too much. Um, it's probably, when you think about it, it's probably what, three and a half, four seasons? Yeah, he's, I, I can't see him staying that long to be perfectly blunt. And, you know, I think when, when these players, when the likes of Aguero and Yaya and, and, and company co-signed, I I genuinely think we don't thought we'd only get sort of three, four years mm. out of them. Never did I think that we, they would be here um, and have such a long tenure with the club. And that's testimony to the, the fact that the club have made them so welcome and so part of the fabric of the, the success. So, you know... Um, I would be really chuffed if we got another season out of Aguero. And then after there, anything after that's a bonus. Richard, best ever Premier League striker? Um, I mean, for me, yeah, but I'm obviously biased. You're allowed, I think, to, be. You're allowed to be on this show. I think um, the important part is that he's nobody could deny that he's part of that conversation. And that's as much as you can really ask, because then you get into what kind of style of striker do you prefer. You could make a legitimate argument that Henri was a better striker. But my preference is Aguero. I think he's a more naturally born goal scorer. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't like talking about the day that he leaves because it's, you it's know, come. It, it, will it come. is, it's coming sooner rather than later. And I think it's, um, I think he more than anyone is a player that we can look at and say we genuinely might never see his like again, or it could be. It could be ten years before we get a striker who, who scores as consistently as he does. It's not just as consistently though; does. it's it's the variety. Yeah, yeah. What what's a classic Sergio Aguero goal? Do you know the one that I still that, that I think of as classic Aguero? But it, I mean, it's not because there's so many that you could argue that you could say his style. But I always think of dropping his shoulder, running across the box to his right, and firing it back across the keeper's sort of United right away. The, Phil, the, the Phil Jones funny face. Yeah, yeah. Well, into the near post. Yes. It's, oh. There's so many, but yeah, just drop it, running at an angle and firing it back across is. What's your favourite Aguero goal? Sorry, I know I'm not the host here, but well, what's no, your... no, it's it's refreshing to be honest with <laughs> to, to, to to do that. Um, with and you're not allowed ninety three twenty. Well, obviously, I mean that's that's just too easy, isn't it? I mean the that for the the United one that I mentioned there is uh, is one of my favourites, but weirdly, one of my I, I, we me and you have a mutual friend uh, called Alex who who. Constantly says he, he loves it when Aguero just belts it as hard as he can into the net. And the one that I always think of is he scored. It, I can't remember what number it was, but it was in one of the, in the game against Monaco. Um, the corner came through to the back post, and he took it kind of. It was like a side volley, just belted it back across the goal, left the keeper standing into the into the corner, 
And I just think the technique on a goal like that, I absolutely, I, I adore it. But there's there's so many Aguero goals that uh, against Chelsea in the FA Cup at yeah, Wembley. That, I was going to say header. that was one of my favourites, and I, I always love seeing a, a what five foot ten, five foot eleven. Yeah. Striker out jumping six foot three, six foot four defender, and then leaving the keeper standing. Yeah, it just yeah. it was fantastic. If, yeah. I, if I can nominate two for that I love, um, similar to yours for just absolutely smacking it, Sunderland away when we won four one. I think oh, under yeah, Pellegrini, yeah. and I um, I watched that one at home on my laptop. And naughty, naughty. I know, and I had no idea that he'd scored for ages because the ball, he hit it so hard, I couldn't see the ball. <laughs> so it wasn't until the camera showed them wheeling off celebrating that I thought, that's gone in. And then watched the replay and it, it I mean, it was so hard that he hit that ball. It was amazing. And then complete other end of the scale for delicacy and just intricate play. Chelsea at home in the 3-0 at the start of the, uh, at the start of the fifth, 16 season, 16 17. No, 15, Mourinho's 16. last season at Chelsea. Yeah. Pellegrini's yeah. last at City. Yeah. Yes, 15 16. Um, and he beat about three players and then rolled did. it in. He did, but when you looked at it, so it looked like he'd taken about two touches. And when you watched it in slow motion, the amount of little mini twists and turns that you assume he's probably not even really thinking about because that's what sort of genius on a football pitch really is. It's just all automatic. When you watch it, the amount of intricate little touches and players that he's sending the wrong way before he slots it past the keeper is incredible. I remember saying at the time that the only way to see how fast that goal was is to watch it in slow motion. It was incredible. Just remembered also the 6-0 against Chelsea where he, he missed from he missed about, he, he missed <laughs> from about <laughs> two yards yeah, and yeah. then belted and then, it in yeah, from 40. Yeah. And that was a very unaguero like goal, wasn't it, I think, from, from memory? Yeah. But even on his um, his home debut against Swansea, he belted oh. one in then as well, didn't he, the second one? And and that was when we knew, right, yeah. here we go. Yeah. We've got there's a just, There's yeah. just so many, isn't yeah. there? That's the thing. Um, I mean, I, I also want you to have a listen to this. This is uh, referee Mark Lattenberg, or former referee Mark Lattenberg, uh, speaking on the Two Robbies podcast from NBC about what it was like to referee Sergio Aguero. There's one thing about Sergio Aguero, you know, people will say he's one of the greats, he is. But actually, the referee in me was a breath of fresh air. I can't recall a time when I refereed him that he cheated. He went down with no challenge. He was a player you could trust that when he did go down, he would get a penalty. Is that something that would influence you then? That you would think if he's gone down, would you, <laughs> would you have question. to think again? Yeah, but would you have to think again, this is surgery? Question he doesn't go down. Yeah. yeah, but you're yeah. still always trying to find a good angle. Yeah. You're always trying to find a good angle, yeah. always. But there's players, for example, you know. I wouldn't like the name, but there's, mm. a, there's a few that we could probably call out that go down very easily. With that, then what you're trying to do is even get closer uh, in a better be sure. angle than me yeah. be 100% sure. Because yeah. without VAR, in the mm. past, I've refereed without VAR. Yeah. You give a penalty, it was a penalty. Mm. Yeah. Now, yeah. the VAR should have cleaned up the, the simulation now. <laughs> Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. 
Mark Lattenberg speaking about Sergio Aguero. And Rachel, I suppose he's right. When you, you think about when Aguero goes down, in the stands we go, well, he's probably been clipped there because he doesn't go down. He doesn't. And can you imagine, he actually got clips in the build-up to 93-20 as well. Can you imagine if that had gone to VAR? I don't even ever thinking about it. Yeah, gone down then. Yeah, it was in yeah. Balotelli as well that day. Was it was fuming with him that he didn't go down because yeah, he would have got, he'd <laughs> he have taken got, the penalty. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. missed. Yeah, no, he knows. But no, I, I think I mean it does say a lot about him in terms of he doesn't. Um, there's no simulation. But again, there's it's just his general conduct as well. I mean, I think about him, and then I think about the likes of maybe I don't know Rooney, for example, is the one that comes to mind. And the difference in conduct on the field and the fact that if it doesn't necessarily go his way, he just gets on with it. Doesn't sulk, does he? No, Mm. doesn't sulk, doesn't surround the referee, asking for cards or whatever else. He just gets on with it. So, um, yeah, I think that's... To be honest, I've never heard Clattenburg talking about um, actually refereeing players previously. So that's quite interesting to hear. Um, And hopefully the same stands for for most of our our team. There's only one person on the team for me who's an absolute... um, who who is a glutton for that? And that's is, is Argentinian teammate <laughs> Otamendi, who goes down quite often, like he's been shot. He's got back problems, and I've got uh, back problems, so yeah. I'm going to uh, gonna, that's gonna old let, chestnuts. <laughs> gonna yeah. let him get away with that. Um, Richard, he, he, he undoubtedly Aguero has changed under Guardiola. He is a completely different player now to when City signed him. Yeah, I think he's a harder working player. I think he's more of a team player, and um. It's hard to say that without sounding like you're saying that he wasn't a team player before. I think he was, but Guardiola has very different expectations of what a player does for their team. Um, and it's almost by, you know, he, he's not allowed to be the star because Guardiola's team doesn't really allow for players to be, um, to have the ego to be the star. But he's so good that he's always going to stand out above most other players on the pitch when he's at his absolute best. Um, and. I mean, he's still got that bit about him where he can almost stroll through a game or he doesn't necessarily have to move much and he can still pop up with three goals. But realistically, most of the time you're going to see him now with his back to goal or he's harrying defenders or he's laying the ball off before he's thinking about getting into the box. And really what you're talking about there is curbing instinct. And that's that's an incredibly hard thing to do because his instinct is always go for goal. It always was. It's why he scored so many. I think there was a quote this week about how um, he used to. He, he admitted to laying the ball out wider than the wingers wanted it, because then it would mean their only option was to cross <laughs> to him, which would maximise his chances of getting a goal. Like he's clearly a, quite a selfish That's player. Absolute genius. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. I'm gonna. I, I saw that second hand, so I can't attest it being an exact quote, but it wasn't from somebody that I thought that I would think was making it up. So <laughs> I think it's reliable. Um, and yeah, so at, at heart, like most goal-scoring strikers, I think he is quite a selfish player, but he has curbed that for the team. And there was a time when we didn't know if he'd stay at City under Pep, and actually it's turned into a fantastic relationship. You can hear when Pep talks about him, there's a lot of affection there. And Pep's a football nerd, and he knows what he's got on his hands, doesn't he? He must relish having a striker who's breaking records um, and and has now got a few more to shoot at. So, yeah, I think it's, it's been it's been a great relationship. And... Aguero's a better player now than he was before Pep came. How much of that, Rachel, though, is that uh, that Guardiola's said, listen, I'm not afraid to stick you on the bench if I think it's better for the team. The, the number of games where Aguero's been fit and, and Guardiola's gone, oh, I'm not I'm not playing you this week, I'm, I'm going with Jesus or I'm going with no striker. It suddenly says to Aguero, actually, I can't just coast. Yeah, there's no room for complacency in, in that squad, which is absolutely brilliant for, for City fans. And 
But but what I would say is it, it does feel like they are very together and when Jesus does play, it does seem like Aguero's genuinely happy when, mm. when when he scores and you know, I don't think there's any kind of you know I, I find it amazing that you never hear any kind of um rumblings from the squad about, you know, game time or or, or, or minutes that I'm on the bench or whatever. That used to be like every other week someone would be mm. moaning if they weren't playing, but Guardiola in, in, in you know, has got a very, very difficult job in motivating a team of, let's face it, multi-multi-millionaires to be the best and to be the most successful. And I think he's obviously instilled that team ethic and everybody knows they have got their part to play. And if that means that Aguero, um, you know, doesn't always start, I think he's okay with that. And I think it will probably, you know, there's a, there's a, how many games are we playing per season now? 60? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. You know, would we expect Aguero to start every single one of those games? Absolutely not. And, that you know the fact that he isn't starting every week, and and he, and he is, you know, it's, it but be that due to formation, to injury, whatever, then that will ultimately, I think, benefit City in that hopefully it should prolong his career anyway. So, so you know, it's winners all everywhere you look there. Well, this is uh, Pep Guardiola speaking to Sky Sports after the game with Aston Villa. He was uh, also talking about uh, the impact that Sergio Aguero had. When you made this incredible amount of amount of goals and during a lot, a lot of years because uh, you have to be be consistent for many many years so an incredible compliment for him what makes him so good i know it's an obvious question but if you were to pick out one thing whether it's the finishing itself the movement what is it about him that makes him a great goal scorer the most important thing is an incredible person i think you cannot uh, always i believe you cannot achieve this kind of amount of records and goals where you are not guy who loves to be with uh, with his mates and have other quality finishing. We know it, so he he has to be always fit. So he's a guy who needs a little bit time after injuries or in the preseason to be to be fit. But he loves to play football, and you know, in the in the final third, is a guy who has the goal in in his head. Since you first met him, since you first became Manchester City manager, how has he maybe changed your opinion of him over that time? Because I think when you first came in, people wondered. Would he fit, maybe in terms of the work rate, with what you wanted? No, it was the same. I have a good opinion before I arrive, and of course you have to know the players. I surprised the fact he's an incredible person, and I love to work with the nice, nice people, and he is. And uh, the rest in the beginning, because I tried to everybody make involved and, and play, and sometimes you decide to do what you have to do in different games, sometimes didn't play and like Sergio never was in the bench before I arrived here, so the people were surprised by the relation we had from the beginning until so far, until now it's always was perfect. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Pep Guardiola speaking about Sergio Aguero there. Um, Richard, honestly now, do you worry about what comes next? Well, yeah, because I think he's irreplaceable. Like I wasn't exaggerating when I said I think we might never see his like again. We're obviously going to have good strikers again because we're a club that's got the resources to do that and pretty sound people making judgments judgments about recruitment. So I don't fear that once he goes, we're going to have some incredible nosedive and never have a goal-scoring striker again. We'll probably go out and get somebody else who can get 20, 25 a season. Or Jesus steps up to the plate and can do that. Or we put Sterling central and we know that he can do that. But I don't think we will see a striker like Aguero again. And... I will miss him. I remember when we spoke about company leaving last summer and I said, you know, like Zavaleta leaving was sad and Yaya leaving was sad. But when company left, I very sort of physically felt when I go to the Etihad, I will miss him being there. 
And I think I'll feel the same about Aguero. Turning up to a game, knowing that there's no chance of seeing Sergio Aguero hitting the back of the net, will feel very different to what it's been like the last decade. Yeah, I'm going to bring a question forward from uh, from Ask the Panel. Uh, normally we do this at the end of the show, but Alex got in touch on the emails to ask, would you be happy to see Aguero sign a two-year extension if it meant Gabriel Jesus leaving straight away and then not being able to get a proper replacement for Sergio? What do you reckon, Rachel? Hmm. It's a tough, it's a tough dilemma, though. Yeah. Um, no, because I, I don't want Jesus going anywhere. I think he is still only, what, 22, 23, is he? He might not have been that old, but, um, you know, I think about, you know, the the guy's work rate and the way that, you know, we've we've seen what Guardiola has done to Sterling. There is no reason why Jesus can't take up that mantle. Don't get me wrong, he's got very, very big boots to fill. And But even if he's sort of 80% of the player that Aguero was, then I'll be OK with that because that still means that there is somebody banging the, the, the goals in for City. I think he was really unlucky on, on um, Sunday. He should have buried that chance in the, um, was it like 83rd, 84th minute or something? Um, but he works so incredibly hard for the team. He's still learning. He's not the finished article. Um, but yeah, I, I do not want to say see Jesus leave the club. So in answer to the question, no, I won't be happy with that. Yeah. Uh, Richard, do you feel honoured in a way that Aguero was given the best years of his career to City yeah I mean I um, thinking on what Rachel said earlier about it's amazing when you think of how many players we've had that have given the best years to City Um, and there's a I think there's a really big discussion in that at some point because it's been key to this era of success that we've had and Aguero is, is chief amongst them because there can be no doubt that he could have gone he could have had his pick of any club in the world pretty much um, you think it is at his absolute peak, and you know he's not really far past that now in terms of ability. But at, at twenty eight, twenty nine, you would think that Real Madrid wouldn't have minded paying a few quid to to have his name and um, selling shirts and and to have him on the pitch for them. He could have gone anywhere, and he could have earned as much money as he's earned at City elsewhere. So there's clearly something more that has kept him at the club than just the money um, and yeah we are we are privileged to not many football fans really get to go and watch players that good week in week out and we've we've had a few of them but um, maybe only behind he's maybe only behind David Silver in terms of the players that I think I pinch myself that for for 10 years now or nearly 10 years I keep saying we've just been able to to turn up and and appreciate him, and it's never got old to me. Like still walking away from from Villa Park on Sunday, I'm still saying to my dad, like, "Can you believe that <laughs> that he plays for us? Like, it's it is, it's amazing." And that and that's probably why, um, you know, like you say, it's it's very easy to take it for granted when you see him week in week out. But even now, when I go to away games and you talk to away fans, part of their excitement about mm. the game that day is to see Aguero play and to see David yeah. Silva play, you know, because, and that was us back in the, you know, I yeah. remember, you know, not that long ago, I was excited to go to the City-Arsenal game because I would see um, Vieira or Henri or Perez or whoever it was. That was part of the appeal of going that day. And, and, and 
you know, the fact that Aguero is now that one of those players for us, it you know, speaks speaks volumes. Speaks highly, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. Uh, Richard, you, you know as well as I do that the only way to commemorate Sergio Aguero's time no, at City Dave, is no. with a surprise quiz, don't you? <laughs> it's time for the surprise Sergio Aguero quiz. Yes, that's right. It's a surprise Sergio Aguero quiz. You know how it works by now. There are six <laughs> questions, three each. Pick a number, one to six, and you get that question. Get a point for a right answer. Nothing if you fluff your lines. Uh, Rachel, as our relative newcomer, would you like to go first or second? I'll go second. Go second. Richard, you're up first. Pick a number, one to six. Um, fitting for the hat-trick record, I'm going to take three. Okay, number three. Who were the opposition for Sergio Aguero's first hat-trick? Oh... I don't know. <laughs> well, let's have a guess then. Um, Bayern Munich. It was not Bayern Munich. No. Was, Could I have uh, a guess? You can have a guess, but it, you won't get a point, I'm afraid. Okay. I know he definitely scored a hat-trick against Wigan. Oh, was it was Wigan. Wigan. Yes, come right. on. I was yeah. going to say Wigan and convince myself I was thinking of Tevez. It was about uh, his fifth game. Tevez missed a penalty in that game. Uh, Rachel, pick a number. What do you like? I'll get my own question wrong, don't worry. Uh, I'll go number one, please. Uh, number one. Uh, which team has Sergio Aguero scored the most against in the Premier League? Uh, I will go Villa. Close. It's Newcastle. Oh, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> so still nil nil, Richard. Let's have a number. Um, because I'm still annoyed about that Newcastle game, and in not getting six, I'm going with six. At uh, number six. Uh, what? <laughs> oh God! Don't laugh. <laughs> what does Sergio Aguero have tattooed on his arm, written in the Elvish language from the Lord of the Rings? Benjamin. No. Is it not Benjamin? No, he has, he has Benjamin in, in, written in English. Oh, thank God. And on his on his other arm, in I think the language is called Tengwa from the Lord of the Rings, uh, it's his own name, Kun Aguero. Oh, I, is, I'll sleep tonight knowing that. <laughs> uh, so, Rachel, chance to take the lead. Let's have a number. I'll go number two. Uh, number two. 33 goals in a season is Sergio Aguero's best in a single campaign for City. Who was the manager for that year? Uh, I will go... It's only one of three, so I'm not <laughs> three chance of getting it. Um, I will go, surprisingly, Pellegrini. No. It was, Pep, it was Pep Guardiola. Was it, was, it? Uh, it was Pep's first, first season. First yeah. So, Richard... Well, that, that's, uh, that's surprising because that his first season was pretty, well, average by Pep standards, yeah. wasn't it? So, yeah. It yeah. was indeed. Uh, Richard, uh, chance to nick it at the death if you get this right? Uh, I'll go with five. Uh, question number five. Which shirt number has Sergio Aguero scored more goals wearing? Oh, you've got one in That's two chance great... of getting this right, surely. That's a great question. I'm going to go 16. 16? Well, I can tell you he scored 107 in the 16 shirt and 142 wearing the 10 <laughs> shirt. <laughs> That, that question was I can't ba- remember what year he changed. That question was basically what year did he change squad uh, squad number, wasn't it? So, Rachel, uh, final question. Number four, is it? Yeah. Uh, number four, indeed. Uh, Sergio Aguero has been sent off once for City. Who else was sent off in that game? Fernandinho. It was Fernandinho. Yes. Well I done. remember that. Yep. There we go. A dramatic 1-0 win. I had a tie-break question written for this one as well, and now, look at that, it doesn't matter. It's, <laughs> it, it's fitting to win a quiz about Aguero with the last kick of the game, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. So you should know me well enough by now, Richard, to know that a quiz comes up from time to time. So I'm surprised that you didn't revise for that one. One day I will think to do that, David. Yeah. One, day I'll, not, one day I'll learn. Today is not that day. A um, few odds and ends to tie up from uh, the win at Villa. We barely talked about the win at Villa, actually. But uh, but Riyad Mahrez, uh, early on, Richard, looked like he was about to steal the show until Aguero stole it off him. 
Yeah, I mean, he looks at home now, doesn't he, Mares? Um, it's great to see him getting a good run of um, a, a good run in the team. He's playing plenty of football, which obviously wasn't really the case last season. Um, and he he does he do, he's you know that he's a, an incredibly technically gifted player who was never ever in question. But I think maybe more than most other signings that we've made in recent years. Um, or certainly the big money and, and quite exciting signings, was probably the one that has had the most lingering doubts about whether he really fits into Guardiola's system and style. Uh, I think he's proved categorically now that he does, um, and it's just hoping that he sort of maintains this consistency because there's, there's no doubt that the quality is there. He's hitting the back of the net. He's, um, he looks in tune with his teammates. And that, really, really happy to well, see it because he's, he's so good to watch. I was going to say, Rachel, he's already bettered his stats from last season and we're only halfway through this one. Yeah, I, I mean, I think in part that's probably due to Sane's injury and the fact that obviously he's had to switch, uh, Pep's had to switch Sterling from the right to the left to then um, cover that. So so that said, maybe all it was about was a run of games and, and, and that to get his confidence and up. And getting settled. But, yeah, and it looks like, he looks like the player he was at Leicester now because, you know, I don't mind admitting last year I did have questions about him. I thought he was a bit of a dud. I thought he lacked um, any kind of fight. You know, he didn't press or, or when he did, it was sort of half-hearted. But yeah, totally, totally um, changed my opinion of him this season. And long may it continue. And speaking of creativity in midfield, Richard, uh, we have to t- we have to touch on that De Bruyne pass for Jesus for the third goal, was it? Fourth. Fourth goal. Um, I think... You probably talk, and again, you know, bias here, but you, you've got a strong shout for pass of the season there, haven't you? Because I thought Sam Lee's tweet uh, about this the day after when he said one of my favourite things about this was the um, everybody wanted to check for VAR, and then you see the line and see Jesus's yards on side, and actually De Bruyne has just gone, I'll bend it round four men again <laughs> onto somebody's foot, and it's true. My favourite thing, and I think that better than that Stoke pass. Uh, no, the Stoke one probably wins for me. But th- this sums up De Bruyne as a player to me. And probably what my favourite thing about him is his mentality is entirely about the most efficient way to score a goal. And it just so happens that he's got the skills to fi- to always find the most efficient way for his team to score a goal. So if it's getting the ball 60 yards from goal and just running until the, the layoff is available that's what he'll do. If it's getting the ball deep in his own half and pinging it over the top onto somebody's foot, then that's what he'll do. And if it's bending it round four players from out wide, then that's just what he'll do. Everything is just maximum and completely ruthless efficiency. And that sounds like he should almost be a boring player because nobody thinks of efficiency as an exciting thing. And yet you watch him and it makes him so exciting to watch because it's just constant creativity. All he thinks about, it's selfless, it's just what is the best way that I can get the ball into that net. Better, than, if, better than Silver's pass for Jekko in the other 6-1? I said of the season. I didn't say of all time. <laughs> I'm just I'm just weighing up other, other great passes that I remember. Um, I would say yes, because with the Silver one, as much as it's one of my favourite passes of all time, the defence wasn't exactly well set for it, whereas De Bruyne still actually had to work out... I mean. Granted, it's Aston Villa's defence, but he did still have to work out how to get it around all of them. Silver spotted a pretty big gap and executed it perfectly and with flair. But De Bruyne's, I think, is a technically better pass for me. And fair play to Jesus for staying off on side because, yeah. you know, a year ago, a season ago, he probably wouldn't have done that either. 
Yeah, and uh, if anybody was wondering from the start of the show, I mentioned there was uh, other 6-1 away wins. That that United one was one. Uh, Burnley in under Mancini was one. And, and Norwich mm-hmm. under Mancini as well, uh, a few uh, a few months after the uh, the 6-1 at Old Trafford. Uh, oh, right. that, was the that was Tevez's return, wasn't it? It from was his indeed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was indeed. His golfing sabbatical. Who, who's, who can say that 6-1 away wins aren't eventfully? <laughs> right, we discussed it briefly on last week's podcast, but the release of the prices for the Real Madrid Champions League tie hasn't gone down well with many fans. I've been looking at why that's the case. Pep Guardiola has never been shy when it comes to talking about the atmosphere in the Etihad, especially for European games. What I want in Manchester City has to be what they are. So it's not time to... I think every club has his history, every club has his own personality, the way he handled the situation, his support. That's what he said after a 3-0 draw at Celtic back in 2016. He'd been asked if he wanted to replicate the atmosphere from Celtic Park at the Etihad. Here's what he then said a couple of years later, ahead of the home leg of the tie with Tottenham. Every time I play away, the atmospheres are really incredible. I support the local team, so we need it. Really, we need it. The boss went even further with his rallying cry before that match. I want to see my fans, our fans, if they really want to get the semi-finals. I want to see it tomorrow. Then, earlier this season, he was asked why City fans haven't really got on board with the Champions League. That is a, a, a reality of our club. In our club, you have to accept it handily. What you can do? Seduce them and be in there so maybe they realise how important. So, with all of that in mind, the club's pricing for tickets for the upcoming last 16 tie with Real Madrid seems at odds with what the manager wants. General sale for adults in levels 1 and 3 for the two sides of the stadium is £57.50. For season card holders who aren't on the Champions League Cup scheme, these tickets are £5 cheaper. If you're on the Cup schemes, you get another five or off, taking it to £47.50. We're in the round of 16 and we're paying prices that are pretty much exactly the same as what they were in the semi-final against Real Madrid in 2016. That's City fan Joe Butterfield. He's written about the prices for the City Extra website. Those prices are too expensive for most City fans generally anyway. I think as a one-off in a, in a historic semi-final that we'd never been to before, it was fine, but you know, fans are willing to accept that. But now, I don't think anyone really is when we're in the round of 16. He says it all seems ill thought out. They know that if they get 60-70% attendance on this game, they'll make more money from that single match day than they did from any of the group stage match days. What they need to consider though is that there's going to be a lot of people who will come here specifically for this game, just as a one-off, but they're not the kind of fans who are going to be here on a regular basis, so they really need to keep the average City fan in mind when they are pricing these kind of games, and it, it really feels like they're not. But what can be done about it? Alex from Typical City has written about ticket prices several times, and says he's thought about it a lot. It has to be some sort of boycott, really. City, much like any other massive company under capitalism, the only way that you can make them listen is to cause a PR disaster or to somehow affect their bottom line or combine the two as a boycott would do. He thinks that the fans have so much power enough to force a change. If you want to affect actual change I think we just have to not go and it's easier than ever to still watch the game when you don't go right. Most of our matches I think last season there was 31 out of 38 that were on telly. Fans can take banners in but the club will just confiscate them. Walk out again it's nice but it happens once and the club can brush it under the carpet. They're not going to listen to us unless we make a massive statement. Joe adds that Guardiola might get more of what he wants if games were more affordable. I think they should probably be kept to maybe 25, 30 quid, but at least have 
tickets as cheap as that available in the ground for any game including the Champions League because obviously the cheaper they are the better the atmosphere is going to be and I think we're all as City fans we're all aware of the atmosphere issues that the stadium has which is no different to any other big club in the country you only improve the atmosphere by getting as many fans in as possible and the only way to do this is to make the prices of the tickets affordable for them it's often said though that football is a product and the quality of the product at City is far better than elsewhere could it be said that the prices are reasonable because of that? Alex thinks not. The quality of football on the pitch is irrelevant to how much ticket prices cost. The stadium costs the same amount to run, regardless. I'm happy to accept paying more for better quality football if the inverse is also true. So for instance, if we finish 15 points behind Liverpool this season, are our ticket prices going to go down? Probably not. With season ticket prices also rising almost every summer in recent years, and with City getting further into each cup competition than ever before, it's easy to see why many fans aren't happy with the cost of this Real Madrid tie. It also isn't helped by how some supporters feel about the Champions League. It feels like there's a pretty big disconnect with how the club feels about the competition and how the fans feel about it, and rather than trying to bridge that gap, they're just staying put and waiting for the fans to come around to their way of thinking, which, because of the issues that we've had with UEFA, isn't going to happen. Football fans are more principled and stubborn than the club seems to think, and our past Champions League experiences haven't given us any reason to think any differently than we currently do. The tickets for this match have been on sale since Monday. Hello, this is Jason Manford and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Check out exclusive City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. A look at the ticket prices for the Real Madrid tie there. Um, adult tickets for this one, Richard, starting at £35. Again, depending on situation. For season card holders on the cup scheme, that is, in the family stand and the south stand level one. It's 40 quid if you're not on the uh, cup scheme, but you are a season card holder. at 45 general sale. Um, immediately, what's your reaction? I, I think it's too much because I think football in general is too expensive. I think what is so easy to miss or is when people defend ticket prices and people are allowed to, it's a legitimate opinion, so that's that's fine. But when people defend ticket prices when they say, but it's Real Madrid or it's the Champions League. Or, or it's great football. Yeah, or it's the quality of football or... It's the sense of occasion, that that kind of thing that you get for these games. Is it is so easy to to just take it as a one off and to treat this as a one off occasion? And I've had I've had people sort of say to me, "But you wouldn't complain at having to pay that to go and see your favourite band at, at the arena." But the difference is, your favourite band doesn't tell you that the only way to support them, or you're only a real fan if you watch them every week. Your football club does, and so if you want to do that. This game isn't just in isolation. If this was the only game I went to this season, I wouldn't be bothered. I mean, for transparency, my ticket's one of the cheaper ones because I sit in Southstand Level 3, so I'm pretty happy with the deal that I get, so put that out there. I think the ticket prices for most fans, um, they're, they're just not okay because a lot of those supporters that go to that game will be, hopefully, when not counting my chickens, but there's a reasonable chance that they're going to go into Wembley less than a month after that game. So no matter how cheap that ticket is, you're throwing in your travel on top of that and food, even if you want to buy it from the shop and take it in the car with you to, to do that as cheap as possible. These are all expenses that are part of it. It's not just your match ticket. Um, it's the games around it. It's the expectation that you'll be on the cup scheme if you've got a season ticket. So you've already forked out a hundred pounds, uh, sorry, hundreds of pounds just to have your ticket for the league games in some of the less illustrious games and 
so on and so forth. Football demands a lot of you and it plays on your emotions and you are led to believe that the proper way to support your team or to be the best fan is to be there. Um, and it's actually unrealistic for a lot of people now. And it is getting to a point, and I know that others have, have already made this decision, it's getting to a point where I'm I'm going to have to say I'm going to have to give up games because I've got I've got other things going on in my life that I can't just keep paying this. Mm. Yeah, and I've been able to do that up until now, and I don't want to have to give up games. But it's going to get to the point where they could create a situation where the create a situation where the fans who have been there from the bad old days and who will I don't want to say most relish these days, but maybe most have a, have a different appreciation of what of how illustrious these games really are, are going to end up watching it from the outside. And I think that's, it's just so, it's so sad to me that that is inevitably, it's where this has to lead if you keep dipping into people's pockets. Yeah. More and more and more. We're not asking for free tickets. You know what I mean? It's not nobody saying well, that these should I, be. I suppose it's frustrating in that sense because you look at the ticket prices <laughs> for the Fulham game, Rachel, and they look really well priced. Yeah. I mean, first of all, spare a thought for the poor Wolves fans last night at Old Trafford. Did you see the the um, the prices of those tickets? Because obviously, they uh, the FA Cup isn't regulated by um, the, the league, away, the, the away, league, prices, the away yeah. prices. So I think was it fifty five, sixty quid to watch that dross. Yeah. So anyway. Um, that's just just by the by, but um, yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing for me is that there there isn't any lessons learned from the club. When I think now about the best standout before um, atmosphere, okay, Barcelona a couple of seasons ago was fantastic, but prior to that, it was the Hamburg game, which we've already, which we've already referenced tonight. It was five pound a ticket. And the atmosphere was absolutely incredible. In- incredible. Uh, it's probably, you know, people... And, and the, the other thing is as well, is that the, the club have scored a complete own goal in that we always get always get the stick about the empty hard and empty seats. And the same thing will happen because they've not made it competitive. And if it doesn't happen, I already know the, the breeder fan that will be there on the night. It will be... Foreign foreigners, Johnny come lately, tourists, and yeah, everyone's entitled to buy the buy the ticket. But you look around on Champions League match days, the makeup of the crowd is very, very different to the you know the the, the, Premier, game, League. the Premier League, the game, the, you know the Palace game on Saturday, for example. That the makeup of the crowd will be very, very different. Now, obviously, football should be accessible to everybody, and I totally get that. But ultimately. As Richard alluded to, they are driving a certain proportion of the fans away, and this whole sort of basing your um, loyalty to the club on your ability to attend a game is—you know—you're not a good or a bad fan based on financial clout. Other people have got other costs to consider, and yeah, I just, I just think yeah, it's Real Madrid. Get it? It's a you know really um, illustrious tie. But the reality is we've already played them. This is the third time we've drawn them in the Champions League. It's not, it, it is a big game. I'm, I'm not sitting here saying it's not a big game. Of course it is. That would be really rude of me to, to be so dismissive. But you know, we've, we've, we've already drawn them. And, and I just don't think there's any lessons learned from the club, which is slightly disappointing. 
Well, we understand that City make the decision on, on match prices on a match-by-match -match basis, so it's not necessarily an, in, an indicator of how much prices will be going forward, Richard. It might just be that for the, it, it depends on the tie again. In, if they were to get past Real Madrid, they would then look at the next tie, who it is, and mm -hmm. the round it's in, then make the, make the decision accordingly. Uh, we also understand that behind the scenes, City are, are quite happy that they think the, the tickets are competitively priced. Would you agree with that? I mean, I don't think we can dispute that compared to other clubs, City's prices are in a similar ballpark. I think if United or Chelsea or Tottenham or Liverpool were playing at home to Real Madrid in the Champions League, yeah, you you wouldn't be surprised to see their tickets tipping £50, £60 pound either. So I don't think the argument... It, you know, Obviously, our passion about this comes from not wanting to be fleeced by City because our decision of whether we watch this on TV or go to the game is affected by who we support and then do we think this is okay to pay. For those other teams, we can only sort of view that from the outside and you're not going to get as het up about it, are you, necessarily? Um, I but, think... but I suppose equally, also, if you if you look at, at City's prices and go, actually, that's a bit too expensive for me, you wouldn't then go, no. might, might go and watch Everton exactly. or might go and watch... Tottenham or yeah, Tottenham that's um, I sort of lost myself in my point a little bit. It's sort of what I, what I was trying to get to, but as we know, brevity isn't always my strength. <laughs> um, I think I understand pricing on a match by match basis. I understand why playing playing Real Madrid at home is a bit more expensive than playing Fulham at home. I do get that. I get playing on the prestige of a tie, but I just think the club don't seem to understand the issue with it. That's the problem. They either don't understand or they don't care. And I'm not sure which one of those bothers me the most. Um, but, you know, I mean, I suppose I've, I've long since dealt with any pretense that City as a club care about the fan base. They don't. They want to make as much money as they can out of them. And, um, yeah, the, the, bit that, the bit that annoys me most is, because um, I think we should just give credit to um, the, the points made in the package. Alex said about the, the you don't get an inverse situation where... Um, when City are bad, prices go down. So we can talk about sort of match match by match basis and illustrious nature of different teams. But do you think if City get to the quarter final, they'll be charging much cheaper than they are for this game? They won't be, will they? Rachel, just quickly, are you a bad fan if you could afford to go to this game but choose not to because you don't think it's a a, a well priced game? No, I mean in some ways you're actually making a stance, so you're probably a better fan because. Like me, I'll moan about it all day, but the reality is I'll probably still be going. So, yeah. I'd, have you, have I'd, you bought a ticket yet? Not as yet, but I probably will relent closer to the time, which is what I normally do. Go, oh, it's, enough, it's too much. It's enough. We've got enough costs going out this month. And then, lo and behold, I'll I'll, I'll go. But um, no, I don't think you're at all entitled to... You shouldn't be labelled a bad fan. If you make the decision that you want to stay at home and watch the game on TV... I mean, well, more for you, first of all, because you'd have to put up with the likes of McManaman <laughs> and everybody else on the commentary. So that's one reason to fork out 45 quid, I suppose. But but no, it absolutely doesn't make you a, a bad fan at all. There are other things in life and football. Is it going to be one of our biggest games of the season? Yes. Do Pep and the team deserve to have all the fans behind them? Yes. But if you decide not to go, that is your right as a fan. <laughs> Now, time to look ahead at this week's two games, Crystal Palace and Sheffield United. Um, Rachel, Palace were the only team that City didn't beat at home last season. It was that, uh, that, that remarkable... Townsend. Yeah, Townsend yeah, goal. Um, yeah. Are you expecting a tough game as a result of that? 
no, I'd like to think that we've learned our lesson. We've obviously come into a, a better vein of form now as well. Um, I am not expecting anything other than a, a City win. I've, I'm second-guessing now um, formations, teams. Like I mean, who knows who's going to go with, you know, two up front, fluid three up front like at Old Trafford, uh, three at the back, five at the back. <laughs> I've, I've just given up even trying to... Yeah. To second guess because every every week I get it wrong. So in Pepe, I, I trust. But but listen, I always I, I always think of that scene from The Simpsons where Homer's the the coach and he's just got those <laughs> vibrating things that, that dolls that fall over the place and he's uh, that's how Pep picks his team. Just rolls yeah, some dice su- and sees what happens. Wouldn't surprise me. But um, no, it should. Be, it, I mean, they're always entertaining to watch. They've got a couple of decent players. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't seen much of them this season. Um, but um, they're pretty inconsistent themselves, mm. aren't they as well? But. Um, yeah, fingers crossed for a good game, a decent score. You know, like I say, I'm not expecting us to, to trip up like we did last year. Richard, one win in eight for Palace. Gone are the days when City are the team to visit when you've got a record like that because they'll turn the form around. But with your old typical City fan hat on, do you not? You always you still worry about it, even though that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. A few weeks ago, I would have done, um, but now I City, think, City are playing well, aren't they? Yeah, they're right back on form, and I think what we've got now. And by no means am I trying to sell this as the situation you'd choose, because I'd rather we were in a nail biting title race again. But realistically, what we've got now is a pressure free five months or so where if we're playing like this we can just go and enjoy it at the end of the season we can say fair enough Liverpool were brilliant and the deserved champions and we've got a footing to go into next season on knowing that we've ridden out a, a bit of a storm a bad and, spell yeah and we've we've refreshed it when things were looking stale the one thing that if anything does worry me a little bit Palace do have a freakily good record in big away games they've got um, obviously beaten City last year um, I think they've taken a few wins from the Emirates, which I know isn't what it used to be, but it's still it's also still Crystal Palace as well. They're not, um, you know, one of your it's not City going there, one yeah. of your yeah. fashionable sides. Um, Did they beat United earlier this they season beat as United. well at Old Trafford? Didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're talking yeah. about tougher games. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they've given Liverpool a couple of scares at Anfield, so they do do well. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I might change this when we come to my prediction but in theory <laughs> I'm not really expecting a walkover I think they could make it difficult but that said I expect City to win and if they turn up in the form they've been in recently then it could still be by a few goals they'll do alright I mean I suppose it's interesting as well this week Rachel that they've got the midweek game pretty pretty soon after and then the, tu- the Tuesday night isn't it against yeah. Sheffield United and yeah. I, Sheffield United this season they're proving to be no mugs for a newly promoted side as well they've done brilliantly I think for me they're probably the story of the season mm. to be honest I mean I watched them against um, West Ham last Friday night and, OK, probably got a one well, away with one there with the, the Declan Rice handball late on. But but against us, you know, we, we rode our luck um, in the home game over Christmas, I think. You took a great assist from the referee the, assist too. Assist from the referee. <laughs> I think Moussa might have missed a couple of chances as well, didn't he? Um, early doors when he, he, he could have done a bit better. And then he was miles offside for that VAR call he, as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he was, it's a, you know, a very strong physical side. I don't expect it to be easy um, at all. Um, you know, I still expect us to win, but I, I, but I expect it to be a tough encounter. Yeah, Richard, uh, Sheffield United hunting down Manchester United um, in the in the table. Palace clinging on to nine. So these are two top half teams. Yeah, I think there's there's still no room to be taking them for granted, and particularly Sheffield United away. Um, I'd, I don't know. Maybe I'm falling for cliches here because obviously their away record in 2019 was spectacular. But you think home crowd behind them at Bramall Lane, 
there's no reason why that isn't going to fire them up and, and they're not going to make it really, really hard like they did for Liverpool. Liverpool were extremely, extremely fortunate to beat, um, to beat Sheffield United earlier in the season. Obviously, the keeper made a huge mistake. And then, I think, if I remember rightly, Sheffield missed a bit of a sitter towards the end, or if not a sitter, then a, a very, a very good chance. chance. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that one. I, am, I wouldn't go so far as to say worried. But I definitely think that's going to be a really, really tough game. And I've, I'm not going with the, the feeling that City are guaranteed to come away with, with three points. Yeah. Do you, have you learned any lessons from the earlier meeting with Sheffield United, Rachel, in how City should approach this? Because, I mean, they, they were they were very difficult for City to break down. Yeah, they set up exactly how as I, as I expected them to, as in like from, from memory, 10 men behind the ball and catching us on the break. And, and that probably in the games that we have lost this season has been our undoing. Um you know, it's been very difficult when we've had, um, you know, when we've come up against pace. I think that's been, uh, but but I don't expect them to play like that at home. I think there'll be a, a lot more, uh, you know, free flowing. I don't expect them to put ten men behind the ball, but we might force them to. That's the the interesting thing in that we might go there and be out all attack, all out attack. If we get a goal early on. I fully expect us to to then you know that they will have to then open up even more. And City can build. And on City it. can build on that then, yeah. yeah. Right, so it was a shame that KC wasn't on the panel last week to give his traditional 6-1 prediction. So we didn't get a win at Aston Villa on the charity bet. That means, though, that the total we've raised so far for the Christie, a cancer hospital in Manchester, stands at £665. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single on City's games. So uh, for this week, let's see what you have in. Rachel, uh, where, where are you going for Palace? I'm going City 3, Palace 0. Uh, that's 5-1 to one and £50 if you're right. And for Sheffield United? Sheffield United won City free. Uh, that's 10 to 1, so £100 if you're right on that one. Richard, what are you having? Uh, for Palace, I've gone a goal more optimistic than Rachel. I've gone City 4 0. Is uh, 13 to 2, so 65 quid. And for Sheffield United, I've gone a goal more pessimistic. I'm going <laughs> City to win 2 1. Uh, is 7 to 1 and £70. Uh, I've gone 3 1 at home to Palace, which is uh, 10 to 1 and 100 quid. And a 2 0 away win at Sheffield United, which is 11 to 2 and £55. You've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, check out begambleaware.org. And now, before we move on, I'd just like to say a big hello to podcast listener Bob Lawrence, who is making the journey all the way over from Australia to Manchester to watch City's game with Crystal Palace. Say journey over Bob and we hope that City can pull off an exciting result for your visit. Now as City have fallen so far behind in the title race this season that it's not even a race at all, attention is turning to the team's performance in Europe. I've been speaking to the Manchester Evening News Chief City writer Stuart Brennan to look over the challenges facing Pep Guardiola's side. The time has come really when City have stopped looking at Real Madrid and Barcelona and Bayern Munich as as people who are above them in, in terms of European football, you know. There'll be a breakthrough moment sooner or later, um, and this this could well be it. You know, if you, Real Madrid haven't looked like the force that they have been in past years. Uh, you know, they've had some dodgy results in Europe in recent seasons. But having said that, when he gets to the knockout stages, they do tend to come into their own. And uh, it, but but we all know City are more than capable of beating them, certainly over two legs, and certainly if they can get get the players back. You know, Laporte's so important. Uh, Sane could prove to be important as well. You know, we've, we've seen what he's capable of doing in the in the Bernabeu in, in the past for Schalke. Um, so, you know, it's it's uh, it's going to be a. There's still tons to play for this season. It does it does feel a little bit like there's been a hiatus uh, because Liverpool are so far ahead. It's just like chalking off the Premier League games. Got to keep winning them to make sure of top four um, and to you know just in case that Liverpool did have some. 
some incredible uh, Devon Lock style collapse, which which isn't likely. But you, you know, if if it did happen, City funny, weren't. Though, it? it would be funny. But if, if City haven't, you know, sort of tossed off the Premier League and and not carried on winning games, they'd be kicking themselves if if they did if they did suddenly go in a bad spell and lose. Yeah, talking three or four games. Uh, getting defeated, and we, we're not as strong the Premier League is. You know, we've seen we've seen little teams beat the big teams right throughout. Um, so you, you never never can write it off. I mean, I wouldn't be putting my house on it, that's for sure. But you know, you, City've got to keep winning and, and just keep hoping beyond hope that, that something does happen. But it does look like the Champions League is is a big one for this year, and obviously they'll still want to carry on doing well in the domestic cups as well. City have never never really cracked the Champions League. It always feels like they like whenever they have one of those breakthrough moments, there's a step back that comes shortly after it. Um, what what do you think needs to change, or what what do you think has could change this season that that would make this season different? I, th- I think it's just it's a mentality thing. I mean, I, I do sometimes wonder a little bit whether the the attitude of the City fans to the Champions League does infuse itself a little bit within the club because uh, Pep, Pep has addressed it time and time again. He, he desperately wants the fans to forget the booing of the anthem and he wants them to get behind the team and make make the Etihad a, a special place on European nights. I mean, we've seen, we've seen the effect it has at Anfield, uh, even when they're not chucking stuff, you know, even if they're just supporting the team. It, it does make for a special atmosphere on the night and that's what he wants. I think he finds it a little bit frustrating that City fans haven't bought into the Champions League the way that they, they have been, you know, into winning the Premier League. Um, we all know the history of that, with you know the, the disregard for UEFA, and it, it's understandable. But I, I, I mean, I am going to axe to grind. But I think the time has come for City fans to, to sort of realise that the Champions League is a big deal, uh, and that it is a big thing for City to win it. And you know, if they if they win it once, they'll want to win it again. You know, it becomes a big part of your club's history. Um, and I think that this year is as, as good a time as any. You know the. They've got the squad to do it. I think. I think man for man, they're every bit as good as Real Madrid. Uh, they've got the. They've got a better coach than Real Madrid. Um, if they can get a bit of momentum going going into the game, and as I say, get Laporte back, Sane back, it's. It, it, it's on. It's on. But there is a bit of a mentality thing, partly coming from that that attitude that the fans have, but partly from the fact that City have never won it. You know, it, breaking through and winning it the first time is a big deal. A word on Guardiola because a lot's made of his record in the Champions League, certainly in the knockout phases, um, and especially he, he references it from time to time without Lionel Messi as well. Um, does his style kind of not really endear itself to knockout football, which sounds bizarre after they've just won the domestic cups last season? Yeah, I, th- I think that is that is an issue as well because you, you'd sooner or later you come up against canny teams and teams that know know what they're doing uh, and we all, we've all seen City's vulnerabilities this season and we know that they, they can be hit on the counter and there are teams who will perfect a plan to beat that you know you, you don't just I mean Real Madrid, Real Madrid are capable of doing it obviously but you look at there are other teams who are, who are extremely solid defensively who, who would relish the prospects of playing City because they know they can sit on them and, and then break on them you know you, you kind of think if Wolves can do it and Newcastle can do it and and United can do it well. Well, certainly, Atletico Madrid and Juventus, teams like that, are, are more than capable of of exploiting City's weaknesses. So uh, that is that is a big problem in Europe, and the stakes are so high as well. You know, if you if you lose one goal, 
you know, quite often there's no coming back from it. Especially you, if it's an away goal as well. Yes, yeah, exactly it. And, and City are especially vulnerable at the Etihad. You know, we, we've seen that. Um, I, th- I think if City are going to win it, they'll they, they possibly do it by performing away from home, you know, and perhaps just being a little bit more solid and a little bit more pragmatic. It's not in Pep's nature, but I think perhaps they have to be a little bit more a little bit more wary at home because if, if they go gung ho like they did in that first half against United and the league, uh, you know, teams will just relish playing against them. Um, they've, 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 you've got to, Pep's, Pep plays on the edge, and I think that's that's what it is in Champions League football with him. If you play on the edge, you're going to get a team who will tip it over the edge. Um, it gets away with it an awful lot more in domestic football because teams just aren't quite as good uh, and perhaps don't have the players to exploit it as much. But even in Premier League, he's, he's been it's been it's been exploited a little bit this season. But it's still great to watch. That's the thing, you know. City playing on the edge, there's, there's fine, no finer sight in football. I don't think. I suppose they've just got to avoid Liverpool as well. Yeah, there is that. There is that. I mean, it has become a bogey. But again, you know, you've got to beat the best. I think if they, if they get past Real Madrid, that will be a massive boost mentally. It'll be like, well, we've just beaten the team that wins it every year. So, you know, there's nobody nobody to fear. And obviously, you know, there is a thing with Liverpool, but they, they certainly don't fear Liverpool. You know, everyone knows that they're capable of beating them. Uh, if the referee had got one or two decisions right a couple of years ago, they probably would have beaten them, but you know, perhaps, perhaps that's one. One, perhaps swings and roundabouts will come round this year. You're listening to the Blue Moon podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. Stuart Brennan speaking to me there. Now it's time to finish with Ask the Panel. Get your questions in for next week. You can email us through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Search for us on Instagram as well. Just search for Blue Moon Podcast. And we're on Twitter as well. Just search at Blue Moon Podcast on there. Uh, First up from Instagram is Daniel Mares. He asks, where do you feel is Bernardo's best position? I like him out wide with the freedom to to come inside. I don't... um... I increasingly feel that his this idea that he's the heir to David Silva probably isn't really the case. Um, I don't see him being... I, I don't think we get as much creativity out of him if he's sort of start central. But I think out wide, freedom to come inside, um, coming in from the right particularly, um, when, he's, when he's at his best. And I think we're seeing him getting back towards his best now. He is uh, he is genuinely unplayable. You can't stop him when he's when he's on form coming in from there. Um, maybe I mean he's still a very young player, so maybe um, as he develops his game more, maybe he will move inside and look a bit more natural there. But I I do think he looks more at home out wide, linking up with overlapping fullbacks or the space to run into the middle. And yeah, that's where I prefer him. Rachel, how about for you? I mean, first of all, it's testimony to the ability of him that we're even talking about this, you know, in that he is so versatile. Um, you know, I know against, I think it was against Leicester, wasn't it, that he played that bit deeper and was really, really effective. Um, but I'm inclined to agree with Richard. I prefer seeing him up front. Um, you know, his finishing is, is, is brilliant. As, you know, that, that amazing goal at Old Trafford last week. Um, and we probably haven't seen enough of that this season. And we know he's got it in his locker. Um, he, he has dipped in form for whatever reason, but um, yeah, I, I agree. I prefer seeing him on the cutting him from the right. But again, in that um, you know, the formation at Old Trafford, 
he was playing in, in all three front positions when they were all, it was so fluid. I don't think anybody really knew where they were. You know, I mean, I think De Bruyne referenced it. They'd they had 15 minutes practice of it in training, and yeah. it seemed to work. Whether it would work quite so effectively against a defence that you know hasn't got Phil Jones in it, we don't know. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, for me, I, I I prefer him on the on the right. Um, still, his, his best game for me, though, is still his standout game was against Liverpool last season. Um, he was phenomenal. I think he covered, what was it, 13 kilometres or something? Did he set a Premier League record? But he was phenomenal that night. That's the standout position in my head. And, and, and I'll be honest, I can't even remember wh- whereabouts he started that night. Was that on the right? I, I, can't, even, yeah, I, can't, even, I, I can't even remember. Yeah, let's just say yes to support our argument. Yeah. Yes, there we go. <laughs> if somebody can prove us wrong, they will reply if we're wrong. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, and finally, Jonathan Broad on Instagram asks, what do you think of the idea of expanding the Champions League to have four extra games, potentially as well, at the at the expense of City being in the League Cup? Because the, the theory could be that uh, those qualifying for the Champions League, Rachel, don't enter the League Cup. Not interested, to be perfectly blunt. I think we've just spoken about the expense of being a uh, Champions League supporter. Um, for me, for whatever reason, it isn't a revered trophy for me. I'm not saying I prefer to win the League Cup, but domestic cups are important. We've obviously won that. You know, we've retained the, the League Cup, and I'm I'm hoping we can win it again. Has any team actually won it three times in succession? I honestly, couldn't tell. No, you. I've never I've never looked at. I keep on. It's one of those things that I keep on meaning to look up once when I have a minute and I haven't. Um, Richard's got a catchphrase about the League Cup that he'll bust out in a minute. You're looking at me confused, but I'm fairly sure at some point you will say that City win the League Cup until told otherwise. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it's true. Yeah, that's my assumption at the start of the season, that that's City's. And then if somebody else gets it, then City will just say, well done, we'll have it back next year. <laughs> but no, Champions League expansion of, I've no interest to be, to be perfectly honest. Maybe if we win it, then all of a sudden I'll be all for the Champions League and it'll be the best trophy known to man. But for now, um, Premier League, Premier League is, is trophy number one for me. Probably then, maybe Champions League, but by some distance, Premier League. The consistency, yeah. week in, week out performing. Although it's funny what you were saying before, Richard, about um, obviously Liverpool already winning the title. I am, or we're assuming they will. Um, I am actually probably enjoying going to games a little mm. bit more this season because I'm not as on edge. Yeah, pressure. The, the nerves off. aren't there. The nerves yeah. aren't there. It honestly it took years off my life last last season. <laughs> going to the last, going to that last Brighton game, I was absolutely. My nerves were shot to yeah, death. I don't ba- want another season like that. The back end of last season, I was just watching games feeling sick. It, yeah. was, it was awful. The Burnley, United until we scored. Leicester. And going behind Leicester, at Brighton. Just... And yeah, Leicester was... I felt numb for most of the Leicester game. Um, just on the question though, Richard, uh, the only way I can think of it happening would be an extra team in the groups, so groups of five, and then another knockout round. So like a one before the last 16. Yeah, I'm, I'm not interested in it. It's, I think it's... It's it's just more money grabbing into it. It's more the Champions League is already, in my opinion, a bloated competition because of the way it's seeded. So you get groups, and barring one group every year, you pretty much know who's going through them. And then you get to match day six of the group stages, and you get all the oh, you want to finish top, so you get the plum draw in the next round, and you don't because in the other groups, as a decent team, finish second, you can win your group and get Real Madrid. So even that in itself is a nonsense. The Champions League, and this isn't to say that it's without its merits. More than a, more than being a great feat of football in brilliance, the Champions League is a feat of great marketing. And <laughs> I would unironically, wholly and absolutely, if you gave me the option, City can stay in the League Cup and contest it every year, or stay in the Champions League and contest it every year, I would choose the League Cup every time. Because that isn't 
okay, it has its problems with Carabao. But, <laughs> I was going to say the draw being done at nine at, at night. In, but even that, it's in a like, supermarket or wherever. But that, but that's like ludicrously fun, though, isn't it? I mean, it's stupid, <laughs> but that's like that's the funny end of when football being commercial goes wrong, and you get like the same team being drawn out. Was it the the first two times they did it? The same team was drawn out twice. So I mean, that's fun. The Champions League, it's it's too clean for that kind of fun. It's not interested, and so I'm not interested in that it. Possibly it's the very first time that the Champions League has been described as too clean. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I want to see City win it. I'm, you, you know from previous conversations that I could not agree with Rachel Moore. Premier League is always priority because that is your biggest test of quality. Um, and and it, that means more to me. I do want to see City win the Champions League, but um, I want to see them win the, the League Cup forever more than that. So. Fair enough. Right, well, that's it for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed it, then please give it a rating and review over on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to support the show, then don't forget we're getting ad revenue this season, so please tell all your friends to listen and subscribe and never miss another edition. Plus, you could also sign up to become a Patreon backer. More details for that, plus the rewards available, are on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. This week's bonus show is all about the talents of Alano. But for this week, that's it. So special thanks to my guest, Richard Burns. Thank you, David. And Rachel Hudson. Thanks for having me. I'll be back next week. I'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.